I need to remember next year not to sing that right before the sermon. <laughs> I mean, invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 10 verses of John chapter 20. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 897 in the Black Pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. John chapter 20 verses 1 through 10, the gospel of John is unique in many, many ways, and it is unique in its telling of the resurrection. It is the only uh, passage Uh, The only gospel that has a whole passage, this passage we're going to look at this morning, that has a, uh, is devoted to a tomb that is basically empty. In other words, in the other gospels, when the women go to the tomb, they encounter an angel. But here, we see an empty tomb. John, in other words, wants us to meditate on this empty tomb. Although, as we'll see, it's not really empty. There are things here that he draws our attention to that he wants us to meditate on, to see what indeed was there. So let's look at this passage together, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And thus far, God's holy word, may he write its truth on all of our hearts this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God, we thank you indeed this morning for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, O God, that you would write on our hearts the 
the truth of your word and the truth that Jesus indeed rose and that we can live in the power of the risen Christ, that we can live in the hope of Christ's coming again and of our own resurrection to come. And so, O oh God, we pray that you would give us great hope this morning as we study this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Thursday and Thursday night here at our Monday Thursday service, Friday, in our service, we focused on the cross, which are crucial for Christians in the Christian life, crucial in Scripture. Christ died for the sins of His people. We see that again and again in the Word of God, the importance, the centrality of the cross. And yet the resurrection is equal, uh, equally important. In fact, as Pastor Dean read for us this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. So Christ died for our sins, but if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Scripture tells us. It assures us of eternal life. It assures us of the resurrection that is still to come. John chapter 19, we, we see the, the death of Jesus. And, and right before uh, chapter 20, verse 1, we see the burial of Jesus. Verse 42 of chapter 19, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there, the burial of the Lord Jesus. And the Jewish Sabbath then followed. And then 21, 20, verse 1 begins on the first day of the week. In other words, that is Sunday. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. They didn't do anything on that day, the Sabbath day. Now we're the first day. This is Sunday then, and now we call that the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, the day on which God's people worship. And the first thing that we see now in John's account on this first day is an honest depiction of Jesus' followers' earliest reaction, an honest depiction of Jesus' followers' earliest reaction, and that depiction is basically of a lack of faith here early on. We read in verse 1, Mary Magdalene on the first day of the week came to the early tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, in the other Gospels, we do read that there are other women 
who came along with Mary. They are not mentioned here. The focus is on Mary herself, and it's going to be on Mary through the first half, at least, of chapter 20. She's the one who runs to Peter and John uh, to, to tell them that Jesus is not in the tomb, thinking that someone has moved Jesus. Later, after our passage, she is actually going to meet up with Jesus. She's the first one that's going to see the, the risen Lord in the passage that follows in John chapter 20. So the focus is on Mary herself here, which doesn't mean that the other women did not go with her, as we see in the other Gospels. But she runs in verse 2, and she tells uh, Simon Peter and, and John, she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know, we, indicating she was there with other, the other women, we do not know where they have laid him. Someone or someones have taken him away. They've taken him away. She, when she encounters Jesus later in verse 15, she thinks he's the gardener. And she asks him, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have, have laid him and I'll, I'll go get him. But what we see here is no thought whatsoever that he's been raised. No thought whatsoever of Jesus' resurrection. In one sense, this is natural. People don't rise from the dead every day. This is not a natural occurrence. And she didn't have a thought of it here even though Jesus had told them time and time again. He himself had raised others from the dead. A little boy, a little girl, Lazarus, three people in Jesus' ministry he had raised from the dead. And as Matthew Henry puts it, one would, ex one would expect that Mary's, Mary's first thought to have been, surely the Lord is risen. All that he had told them about his betrayal, his arrest, his death had come true. Why not now? I propose to you that we might have had the same skepticism. We might have had the same skepticism. The Apostle Paul dealt with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we read earlier. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And that really is the key question this morning. Did Christ really rise? Did Christ really rise? Will our bodies 
rise? Will our spirits be with the Lord at our death? And ultimately, will our bodies rise at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have an honest depiction of the earliest reaction of Jesus' followers. But secondly, we also have a a clear description of this empty tomb. A clear description of this empty tomb. We see it in verses 3 and following. It doesn't appear that Mary went into the tomb. Uh, She must have looked in to see that Jesus was, was not there. She saw the the stone rolled away. But in verses 3 and following, Peter and John run to the tomb. And verse 4 says they were running together. But the other disciple, that is John, who's writing this gospel, by the way, he wants to tell us that he got there first. He outran the other disciple and reached the tomb uh, first. We don't know why John puts this uh, detail here, why he was able to outrun Peter. Some say it was because he was younger. We don't know whether that's true or not. Maybe, you know, of course, the, the old saying, he who, uh, those who tell the story rule the world. Uh, they can say what they want as, they, as he records this. Maybe he's gloating or something like that over Peter. But he says, I got there first. But what he also says is he didn't go in. He presents Peter as the bolder of the two. John stoops in verse 5 to look in. He sees the linen cloths lying there. He doesn't go in. But when Simon Peter arrives in verses 6 and 7, he follows him. He goes into the tomb He saw the linen cloth lying there, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Note that description. The linen cloths lying there, they had been on Jesus' body. The face cloth folded up in a place by itself. What we have here is an orderly scene. And that's important. An orderly scene. Which actually rules out two different scenarios. One is grave robbers. And the other is disciples stealing the body. Grave robbers. Grave robbers were common in the ancient world. In fact, the emperor Claudius imposed the death penalty on grave robbers. They were common in the ancient world. Linen wrappings on bodies and spices used for burial were very expensive And so, grave robbing was common. But here, they had, they had left the, they had not, in other words, grave robbers would, would, would not have taken 
the body and left the clothes behind. Right? If you're a grave robber, you have, you have no desire to have the body. What you want are the expensive clothes and the spices. So this is not the work of grave robbers. And secondly, the disciples would not have stolen the body and left the clothes behind. They're not going to take the time to undress Jesus and take him out of the tomb. Of course, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the Jewish leaders tell the Roman soldiers and pay them money to say that the disciples stole the body of Jesus while the soldiers themselves were sleeping. But this scene, this orderly scene, is significant. It's significant. As Matthew Henry again puts it, Christ left his grave clothes. He rose to die no more. He rose to die no more. Death has no dominion over him. This is a, there's a, a stark contrast with Lazarus. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he came out, how? Wearing his grave clothes. But not Jesus. He passed through his grave clothes. Again, as Matthew Henry puts it, Christ would be clothed with robes of glory, not rags, just as we will put off all of our corruptions. Just as we will put off all of our corruptions. I want to read again this glorious passage, the very end of 1 Corinthians 15 that Pastor Dean read earlier uh, for us, the, the very end of this uh, chapter. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has been raised to a glorified body. Christ's body has passed through the clothes, His grave clothes. Thus, we also will have a glorified body. And by the way, that's a reason why in verse 15, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. He 
He looks a little different in a different body when she encounters him. Third and finally, we see the conflicting response among Jesus' disciples in verses 8 to 10. In verse 8, John goes in to the tomb, the one who had reached the tomb first. He went in, he saw, and believed. But notice he goes on to say this, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. What is John telling us here? He believed, but they didn't understand. What's he telling us? There's a spark of faith, but it's a weak faith. He doesn't fully understand yet. It's ultimately going to be the the post-resurrection appearances and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that's going to bring the true reality of what Jesus has done and true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And within a number of years, within not too many years, these same disciples are going to go to their death proclaiming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and they have seen the risen Lord. And you know what? People do not go to their death for a lie. They don't go to their death proclaiming a lie. They go in the strength and power of boldness, not only of the Holy Spirit, but because they truly saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. God works in different ways among different people. Some, like John, get it. Others take longer. Many others, like Judas, can be with Jesus for three years, up close and personal, and never get it. They know the basic gospel. They see God at work in others' lives. They may believe in God, yet they fail to get it. They perhaps fail to see their sin truly as an offense against a holy God that needs to be forgiven, that God must punish and does in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. God has done that. Punished all the sins of all of His people in the Lord Jesus Christ in His death and has raised Him from the dead. So today let's reflect on that empty tomb and the reason why it was empty. That Christ died and rose bodily 
never to die again. I want to end with a passage from Peter Trumper's book, Breakfast on the Beach. And he talks about when life returned to Christ's uh, lifeless, uh, uh, lifeless body. He says this, the impotent passivity of the once crumpled form bearing the hallmarks of death, sallow flesh, languid expression, hollow eyes, sagging mouth, twisted arms and legs gave way to a rapid surge of divine strength. Death's sickly pallor surrendered to the radiance of death defied. The power of darkness to the power of an endless life. Christ opened his eyes. It was a simple act, yet the most profound known to man, signaling that the finality of death could be overcome. The living no longer needed to be sought among the dead. Heaven had burst into that confined space. Christ is risen. Amen. Let's pray. How we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you indeed endured death on behalf of your people. And now we thank you on this Easter Sunday and praise you that you indeed have risen from the dead. And we pray, O oh God, that you will continue to strengthen us, that we might walk in this resurrection life. And we pray if there are any here who do not know you this morning, that they might know, come to know the Savior Jesus who loved his people, who died on the cross and who rose from the dead so that they might know this resurrection life that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And it's in him we pray. Amen.